This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. CanDo is navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots. I'm James Hill and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Isabel Hardman. Now, Katie, there's only been one story that's been dominating this weekend, and it's the allegations against Suella Braverman and her driving points. Uh, talk us through the story and where we stand on Monday morning. Yes, Keir Starmer wants to talk about the NHS, but um, it is a Suella Braverman that seems to be on the front of all the papers and, and dominating the news agenda, for now at least. Um, now, this all relates to a story broken by the Sunday Times and the Mail on Sunday about a speeding fine. Now, to go through the details. This is a speeding fine Suada Bravman uh, received when she was Attorney General. At the time, sources close to Suada Bravman say she planned to take part in um, a course because she was offered, as you as you are, a speed awareness course or points off your licence and a fine. Now, she decided to go for the speed awareness course. However, she then became Home Secretary under Liz Truss. At that point, and this is where different accounts vary. She asked civil servants whether they could look into whether she could do that course one-on-one without other people present or online, um, without others seeing seeing that she is there. And uh, civil servants refused to do this. It then fell to political aid to look into it. The course said this was not possible, so she chose to take the points and pay the fine. Now, this has all come up because uh, the allegation is, did she break the civil service code by asking civil servants to look into what was a personal matter? The defence from the Home Secretary, though I think it's interesting, the defence has slowly been, almost been pieced together since the original story. But the defence now seems to be, well, she uh, was Home Secretary, and that meant she obviously has um, 24-7 security, and therefore it was a question about what you could do as Home Secretary with the security and therefore it's about how a Home Secretary handles this rather than a personal question and that seems to be the defence. Adding to this, you have a story um, going on the background about whether one of Seattle Brotherman's team effectively misled journalists who tried to write from the mirror who tried to run the story about six weeks ago. And you also have other reports of bubbling tensions um, between Seattle Brotherman and, and for example the Chief Whip. Now, Rishi Sunak is going to meet today with his ethics advisor, Sir Laurie Magnus, to discuss this. Um, And I think the the very fact that Downing Street have put that out there opens the possibility of investigation. Rishi Sunak, um, we are told, not from his own words, but from those around him, he does have full confidence in his home secretary, but he was clearly very irritable and annoyed to be asked about it at the end of his G7 summit. When Chris Mason from the BBC asked him about the story, he said, you know, is there nothing you want to ask about the summit? Um, which then obviously led journalists ever to write up about the thin-skinned prime minister. So it's unhelpful for the prime minister, it's unhelpful for Surada Bravman. Does this mean we're about to see the end of her career? I think we're still some way from that. Um, interestingly, um, Philip Rycroft, former civil servant, was saying uh, on the radio last night that he thought she was potentially in breach of the ministerial code. He thought that might be quite clear cut, but also said that doesn't necessarily mean it's a sackable events, suggesting it might be one of those things where if she came out and we will have uh, Sir Brabham in the chamber later today for Home 
office questions and potentially an urgent question but if she came out and apologized or, or there might be a way around this which means it isn't quite a you know a slam dunk mm. Isabel you wrote a column over the weekend talking about number 10's media strategy and I wonder perhaps if we're seeing in this episode some of the sort of faults of the current model which is that you leave a kind of vacuum for opposition voices to fill rather than really be seen to leading on the agenda and you know shaping the political weather yeah, the, the funny thing is, is that I think Suella Braverman is is being classified by most people in the party as being an opposition voice, given she was one of the most troublesome voices last week uh, with her speech to the National Conservatism Conference about um, immigration. And when I spoke to lots of Tory backbenchers, uh, particularly those who were who were pro-Rishi, they very much framed it um, in those terms that because the Prime Minister is quite detached, whether it's flying across the world, sort of physically detached, you know, 10,000 feet above um, in a plane on his way to Japan or uh, a little bit lower, flying uh, by helicopter to um, Southampton, that leaves Suella Braverman and his critics, rivals, however you want to frame them, to make fools of themselves. And I think this this speeding story would probably fall into uh, that description as well. But, um, and this is what I was writing about in The Observer over the weekend, it also means that you don't get your message across and it's not that long until the next general election. At this stage in the electoral cycle, uh, in the run-up to the 2015 election, for instance, you had Tory MPs who basically turned into robots, just saying long-term economic plan over and over again. And we were starting to find it annoying in Westminster, which meant it was only just starting to percolate in the wider electorate. And that's really boring, but also really important because you have to be able to tell voters uh, what you stand for and what you want to do. And if they turn the radio or the TV on or open a newspaper and they've got this panoply of conservative voices all saying different things, all disagreeing with one another... I mean, voters don't pay that much attention, weirdly, I mean, God knows why, to the uh, the internal factions of Westminster. So they don't think, oh, you know, this person's from the One Nation wing of the party, this person is an ally of John Hayes. They think this person's a conservative and they just get this this mess of messages. Uh, so that's the downside of the, the Rishi Sunak detachment approach. The upside, of course, is firstly that his rivals can sort of burn themselves out and embarrass themselves and also that he doesn't need to associate himself with uh, various failed policies or scandals a sort of I don't know a kind of parliamentary shaggy saying it wasn't me the whole time yeah I think last week things felt pretty loose but that was partly because you had the national conservatism conference which annoyed a lot of MPs because they felt as though some of their colleagues or perhaps just the noisiest colleagues were getting lots of attention and to Isabel's point you know being read as part of this big debate taking place in the Tory party when right now at least it does not feel as though uh, what Danny Kruger and Miriam Cates about saying about family is decisive of what's in the next Tory manifesto but if you were following the various reporting um, it feels as though you're already there I think when you look at Suella Brabham specifically the timing last week of the speech she gave on cutting down migration numbers, and of course on Thursday we'll get the figures out on net migration, um, expect to be uh, you know over seven hundred thousand. It did not uh, make her that many friends. I think those who want her to recommit and want her to be that voice of the right obviously enjoyed the speech, um, but 
to some, I think, of her cabinet colleagues, um, there is a question of timing, particularly when there's currently conversations going on indoors about what you should do in terms of various visa quotas. We could get announcement Tuesday or Wednesday ahead of these figures. Um, but also a sense of after tricky local election results, I think anything that can be seen as positioning, and they will say, well, she agreed to this speech ages ago, doesn't really um, add to that sense of team spirit. So it... it I think gave fuel to what was probably a few backbench MPs giving speeches. As soon as you throw a cabinet minister in there, and then of course you had Michael Gove, it starts to feel like more of a movement to um, talk around the prime minister. Um, as for Suada Bravman's standing, I think it's an interesting one where there are lots of theories. So one theory is that Suada Bravman wants to get herself sacked. Um, she wants to get herself sacked or she, you know, an honourable resignation even. Um, so then she can build up her power base from the outside. And you see lots of people talking about this. Now, it's not impossible, but also it's pretty hard in terms of a long term sustainable level to, as a backbencher, get attention. Boris Johnson obviously managed to do it as a backbencher, but we have seen many cabinet ministers lose the status of their office and you will just inherently get less attention. You might have, you know, a small gang behind you. So so I think this idea that it would be a genius move by Suada Bravman to find herself in the backbenches a year and a half for the next election um, does have some holes in it. And then also, in terms of Number 10's perspective, there are definitely figures in Number 10 who find Suada Bravman, as I said in the magazine this week, to be a handful. Someone who is, compared to some of the other colleagues, harder to get to take the party line or perhaps just go along with their own pace of things. But the flip side of that is that uh, when you think about um, the voters the Tories are aiming for, and you take aside Suada Bravman's personal net approval because it's not about how much she personally um, engaged with a voter but the things she is arguing for are quite important to that coalition and and therefore I think that it's not always unhelpful to Rishi Sunak to have someone making some of the comments he perhaps doesn't want to make when they are pretty aligned on policy in lots of areas. You know, small boats, yes, she will want to go further with that bill. Um, but the general, you know, this idea that Rishi Sunak is this cuddly one nation Tory, he's just being pulled by Suella Bravman into, into these policies is really wide of the mark. Um, and therefore, for Rishi Sunak to lose Suella Bravman, uh, not to be so middle of the road here, I mean, it could mean there was more harmony in his cabinet. It could mean the chief whip had an easier job to do at the end of the day. Um, but it would also be problematic uh, in terms of it would probably add to growing concerns ahead of these figures um, that Rishi Sunak could be perhaps going soft on some of the key issues that Suada Brabham is talking about. Um, but keeping her in clearly um, does require work and effort and leads some number 10 to cite various points. And talking of work and effort, um, Isabel, we haven't even mentioned the story which Labour perhaps would want us to talk about, which is... Keir Starmer's long-awaited third of his five missions in this big speech he's giving this morning. I'm not sure how much coverage it's going to get, but uh, talk us through his thinking and what he's likely to say today. Yeah, he's giving uh, his big health speech uh, in Braintree in Essex, and he is going to promise that a Labour government would hit all big NHS targets in its first term. He's been preparing the ground on using the private sector more pressuring the government to make greater use of the, the capacity that's available in, in the private sector. And it, it does look as though Rishi Sunak is is set to um, uh, to do more on that, actually. The other bit of uh, what Keir Starmer wants to talk about is preventive medicine, which is something that, despite being something that Bevan and Beveridge were both very keen on, has never really 
been realised in the NHS, which has been very loaded towards the acute sector. Um, and readers of my interview with Wes Streeting back in the autumn uh, will have seen this coming. Uh, it was also something that Jonathan Ashworth talked a lot about when he was Shadow Health Secretary. Um, and I think it's really interesting that Starmer is promising to cut deaths from cancer, um, from heart disease, but also to cut suicides um, as part of this drive. Um, and I think a lot of people in the population would would be able to understand preventive medicine using those three conditions uh, quite easily because uh, obviously we can see what um, the links between obesity and heart disease and indeed cancer are. Um, but also actually there's a much greater mental health literacy uh, nowadays that means that people do understand that suicide is preventable and that there are ways in which the health system um, can can work to realise that. So I think it's, I mean, I think it's a really good and interesting move um, by Starmer. Um, it's definitely the direction that the NHS needs to be going in to stop it from being so loaded towards acute that people that patients end up in the system at the wrong stage of their illness, so much later down the line um, of an illness, or indeed, once an illness has developed, there's often ways in which you can can prevent that from happening. So I'm really interested in um, the detail of how Labour might implement that, because while it sounds very motherhood and apple pie, it does tend to involve closing hospitals, which is, if you want to do one thing to make MPs buzz around like wasps who've just been kicked out of their nest it's to suggest that their local hospital however rubbish is going to close and just a small point on the politics of it it is one of Keir Starmer's five missions so it'll be interesting to see how it lands in the sense there has been some private unhappiness within Labour about those missions in the sense you have a the shadow cabinet ministers who say well where's my mission and then secondly uh, those who think they're not cutting through the public but I think the more you have in terms of details and what it looks like in policy the more that might cease to be the case because they are almost doing it where they've announced the vague top of the five missions and with each speech you learn more about them. Thank you Katie, thank you Isabel and thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.